You're listening to this week's excerpt from the Dear Prudence podcast. To get the full-length, members-only version every week, join Slate Plus at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is my honey, my baby, my ragtime gal, Connor Goldsmith, a literary agent at Fuse Literary specializing in sci-fi slash fantasy fiction and a variety of nonfiction subjects. To be clear, I meant sci-fi and fantasy, not sci-fi and slash fantasy. (laughs) Although, I mean, if you've got that. Yeah. Yeah, Connor's available. I mean, I'm I'm flexible. Oh my god. I'm just so happy to have you here. I could scream. I'm so excited to be here. It's a really it's a lot of fun. You have the right opinions about everything. That's very flattering. Thank you. I I I disagree, but I will take it under advisement that you feel that way because it makes me feel good. Do you have an idea of like what role you're going to inhabit? As Are you going to be like a strict aunt? Are you going to be like a relaxed uncle? Are you going to be like a sinister godmother? What's your what's your vibe today? I was actually talking to my mother about it this morning because I was like just happened to be talking to her and she was like, well, Connor, don't be too mean because you can sometimes be very strident. And so <laughs> to any of the letter writers, if I come across a little strident, uh, I apologize. And my mother has encouraged me to be a little nicer. So I'm going to try my best. I just want to, you know, I love trying to help people. I'm like, I'm that sort of like meddling Yenta friend um, who's like wants to be everyone's mom kind of in my friend group in that sense, like not in other senses, but in the sense of like, OK, let's fix it. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, so my my inclination is always to be like you have to do this and maybe that will help but so i'm going to try to be a little gentler but i think my natural tendency is a little bit like you know talk some sense into you aunt a little bit so i'm gonna i'll try i'll try to be a little more chill uncle if i can i do like the idea though of like periodically invoking the spirit of your mother like if i'll just say like okay what would your mother say right now we can you know my mother's very good at giving advice so she's like i get it from my mama in that sense so it would be that would be she'd be very good at this podcast. Maybe you should have her at some point. Next up, I'll get the whole family on. Yeah, why not? My dad's funny. <laughs> okay. Um, would you read our first letter? Sure. All right. So the subject is secrets. And uh, it begins, Dear Prudence, my husband and I grew up in the same small town. We have a two-year-old son. For a birthday present, I got both of us an ancestry kit. I wish to God I never came up with the idea. The results came back saying we are actually first cousins on the paternal side. This news unsettles me and has left my husband's world in tatters. His parents have been married for 30 years, and my husband always held his mother close to sainthood. He will not talk about this to me. We are sleeping in separate rooms, and it is starting to affect our son. All my uncles are happily married, I thought. I find myself looking through photo albums of our childhood together and trying to figure out the truth. This secret is poisoning my marriage, and I am terrified it will blow up the rest of our family. My father-in-law likes to rhapsodize how he married the first girl he ever kissed. This is going to kill him. I can't confide in my mother or sisters. We were supposed to visit this summer. So, like, if nothing else, I hope that one thing this podcast can do is talk at least one person out of ordering those DNA kits. Yeah, that was... Your first mistake, <laughs> especially yeah. in a small town. I feel like I, I know people who something like this has happened to where it's like, oops, like you're not related to your dad. And that's like not or you are related you, to your husband or you are. I mean, in this case, that's that I, when I was reading this at first, I thought that like the incest thing was going to be the dilemma and then the problem. Right. Mm-hmm. But then I realized that like, oh, no, it's also like an infidelity thing. That's like a huge nightmare now. Because with the incest thing, I was going to be like, listen, you're, you're cousins, you're not siblings, you didn't grow up thinking of yourselves as related. Totally. Like, there are plenty of places around the world where people marry their first cousins and it's not considered that weird. Like, I think you should just get over that, personally. But yes. um, then it becomes a little more complicated once you factor the other stuff in. So I think there are 
Do you want me to just go? I don't know how, like... Uh, yes, just go. Okay. Just go. Oh, by the way, though, I love that our take on this was both very, like, it's not really incest. I was like, it's, it's not. I mean, it's like, it's like, fine. It's like, not. I wouldn't, like, go out of my way to date my cousin. But, like, if you accidentally married your cousin, like, worse things could happen to you. That is exactly where I come down. We are the same. And that's what you missed on Game of Thrones. Um, so... Yeah. I kept arguing that when people were talking about Game of Thrones. I'm like, they didn't know. Who cares? Anyway, um, so, but I think there are really two different issues here. And the first one is the more complicated issue, which is the relationship with your husband. Because he seems very upset, obviously. And that has to be something that you guys need to figure out. But then you're sort of conflating it with this other question, which is, should I tell anyone? Like, should we tell them? Uh, To which I personally feel like the answer is no like i don't see the unless your husband simply can't live with this i don't see the upside in like blowing up this marriage potentially 30 years later or like telling his sibling or like you know i just don't see why that would be a good thing for anyone to do because obviously their family's been fine for however long and people make mistakes and you know, whatever happened, it was 30 years ago. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's probably not worth, you know, blowing up the family, as you put it, in order to give yourselves peace of mind. I think you opened the Pandora's box a little bit with this DNA test and you found something unpleasant. And now I think it's sort of on you to, like, not let the blast radius get any wider. That doesn't help you, though, deal with this with your husband. I mean, I feel like maybe you guys need to go to therapy. You say he won't talk about it, but like something's got to give there. You know what I mean? Unless you, or you break up. Like, I I don't see how that's sustainable. You're already living in separate rooms. Like there's, the marriage is not good right now. Right. And I think, yeah, like I, I can almost see a way to steer them out of the various shoals here and get out to like We've processed it as much as we feel like we need to, and we're just going to let that one lie. Which yeah. I don't often give that advice, but like I like the idea of trying for it. But there's so many, so many different rocks they could found around. I think the one that would probably be hardest, at least for the husband right now, is the sense of like, so at least one of my parents saw me marrying this person and like using their memory, remembered there was a decent chance we were cousins and didn't say anything. And that I think would be the hardest part for me would be like one of my parents knew that I was marrying somebody who was probably my cousin and didn't say shit to me. And that, I think... Right, it's like my mother didn't say anything. Right. Like, that that to me would feel like, I don't know that I can put that one away. But on the other hand, if you're... So they've been married for 30 years. So my parents have been married for like a little over 30 years. So let's say, let's gauge these people like mid-50s to early 60s, probably mm-hmm. age-wise, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like if you're in that age range, unless you're someone like my mom, my mom's coming up a lot, I'm sorry, who's like obsessed with genealogy. So she loves the ancestry DNA stuff. But like, I feel like most people, especially if, you know, they got married like five or six years ago before that was like a fad, really, before it was like on Mm -hmm. TV all the time, I feel like it wouldn't occur to you that they would ever find out. So again, it's like one of those things where it's like, yes, like I made a mistake 30 years ago. I was unfaithful. For all you know, by the way, his father knows this and Mm -hmm. they moved on from it and he raised the kid as his own and didn't have a problem. Like, and, you know, I'm not saying didn't have a problem, but like clearly their marriage is good to by all appearances. So maybe this is something they worked through. But it's also just as possible that the mother knew this was a possibility, was never sure if it was true or not, right, and, and just, just hoped elected, hoped it would never, ever come up. Yeah. Um, and if that's something he can't forgive his mother for, then that's an issue that unfortunately, like, is sort of above your pay grade because it's not mm-hmm. about your marriage. I think the main priority is not, like, um, if there's a way to not, share this with the rest of the family and you two are able to talk about it and your husband thinks he can be in the same room as his parents again, that's, you know, that would be kind of remarkable. But if it is, I would say don't prioritize keeping the secret over everything else, right? Like if it just becomes we have to protect the secret no matter what, even if we're all dying inside, that's too high a price to pay. Right. That um, Yeah. And, and again, like, you know, 
yeah. So I would just say right now, what you need is somebody to talk about this with. And if your husband is not able to talk about it with you and he's not interested in going to therapy with you. Yeah. Go go by yourself. You will still benefit from it. Um, and, and they will be able, I think, to help you clarify, like, what do I need? What are my goals? What are my desires? Um, uh, and, and, and figure out kind of a plan. And then, like, from there to, you know, talk to your husband about, like, what do you need or, or, or ask for what you need yourself. And, and if he's just like, I want to sleep in this guest room forever and never talk about anything ever, you know, I think there needs to come a point where you can say like, so that's not going to work long term and I need to figure out something else. Yeah. I mean, like what sort of, that's kind of what I was trying to get at. Like, I think it's a two tiered problem and the key tier that's the first tier of the problem is your marriage and like figuring out whether this marriage can continue, whether this is something the two of you can process by yourselves, because if you can process it by yourselves or with the help of a therapist, but amongst yourselves rather than involving the rest of the family, the damage to the family will be limited. But if that's not possible, then the larger problem is how to approach dealing with this. And if they're, if you're going to deal with it, I feel like that's something that he has to do with his mom, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and maybe say, like, do you think you want to need to talk to your mom about this? Because, again, I think the odds are that once you start talking about it, other people will inevitably be drawn into it. But it also like he could potentially have a conversation with his mother and a therapist. That does not mean you have to call up every cousin you have and say, like, OK, which one of you is my dad? Um, but right. Yeah, I, I, I do think that. Yeah, I leave the uncles out of it. Mm-hmm. If at all, yeah. your uncles and, uh, you know, that's something that he and his mom can deal with if they want to. But you need to, like, not dig too deep into that, I think, unless prompted to. Yeah. Hopefully there would be by a them. way to talk about it in a way that was like, I'm obviously like hurt and freaked out. I'm not trying to, like, you know, bury you. I'm not trying to, like, destroy you. I just I need to know more about this. You need to be able to talk to me about it in a way that's like. I'm not you know, I, I don't know. I just I feel like the pressures of trying to keep all these other marriages going is like if they've already weathered this right. for 30 years, I think they can exactly. handle another storm. But and uh, yeah, and I think yeah. it's again, I think it's very possible that some of that at least I mean, certainly the mother knew it was a possibility and the uncle, whomever he may be, knew it was a possibility. But I think it's also possible that their spouses know that this is a possibility and that they've just all elected not to talk about it. That's not Mm -hmm. to say that that's necessarily the case, but I just think that you're more likely to cause more of a problem if you start like digging and investigating and trying to figure out like which uncle was closest with her when they were young, you know, like things like that. Like I just wouldn't do that until it becomes something that is like an open conversation if it goes that way. Yeah. And I would just say to me, if this if you start seeing a therapist, you have a place to talk about it and it still feels like I'm getting no traction with my husband. This may end my marriage and keeping the secret is killing me at that point. If you need to start talking about it carefully with one or two people in your life, then I would say at that point, that's more important than keeping the secret um, mm-hmm. is is like take that step first. See how that's going for you. If you're not getting any progress and you are like, I can't divorce my husband and not tell anyone why. Like I would feel right. so isolated and alone. You know, at that point, it's like I didn't start the fire. And exactly um, like this isn't your except insofar as you bought the DNA test. But how could you have known this isn't right. really like your Nothing Nothing about this is your fault. And it's not your husband's right. fault either. So right. I think that, like, so while my advice is to start by trying to, like, deal with it amongst yourselves, if that's not possible, like, neither of you is the guilty party here. And so right. not that anyone should be guilty, you know, but you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah, it, it's I do. It's just I do. And- not something you guys did. So if you need to, like, lance the wound in order to heal from this, then go for it. I just, it wouldn't be my first right. choice. I do think you guys should not visit this summer. Yeah. Oh God. Unless... Yeah, that is. You're not ready. You're clearly not there. You know what I mean? Clearly like, that's not. That's gonna be a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, the you know, I, I think to just really stress, like, especially if you're struggling to like get your husband to open up, to just say, like, clearly sleeping in separate bedrooms and not talking isn't working for either one of us. I don't see it making you happy or contented or peaceful. I see that it is failing you as a strategy. And I want Mm -hmm. a strategy for you that enables you to deal with your feelings, be present for our son and ask for the things that you need. Um, And uh, yeah, again, I think one of the things that is hard is this does seem to be like, I think, a little bit more common than a lot of us thought with the advent of um, all these DNA kits. And like, again, I don't want to just say like, 
don't worry about it. No big deal. But I also hope you can like it probably is true that your father in law really loves his wife. And right. Yeah, that's it's complicated if, and not ideal, but it doesn't mean that everything was a lie. I mean, some things were a huge lie, but it doesn't right. mean that they didn't love each other. And it doesn't mean that they didn't agree to tell that lie for what they thought was the best thing for their son. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Especially if it's a small town where everyone's gossiping. I mean, that's why, again, like you may be surprised how many people it turns out knew about this for 30 years. Right. I mean, we've especially if it's a gossipy small town. Exactly. Like I, this happens all the time. Yeah. It's so just, just not anyone... typical. The to part that's unusual is marrying your secret relative. That is like yes. a wrinkle that I have not encountered before. Um, right. Luckily, you're not half siblings. That would be, I'd be, that I would be suggesting like other. That would things, be a bummer. Yeah. That would be a bummer. But like cousins, I feel like you can deal with this, but it's going to take Cousins you can totally work with. You can deal with it. I just, you know, take some time to make sure like you're dealing with it. Because, and you don't, yeah. like, don't feel like you have to make this work if he can't or if you can't or if this just becomes untenable. But obviously you want to make your marriage work. You say that in the letter. So, you know, give it a shot. I, bu- I believe that you can make this work. Um, yeah. But I would hesitate to go straight to let's talk to your family about it. Yeah. Um, and good luck. I hope you get that therapist. Good luck, yeah. You deserve a therapist. You deserve a lot of support Please right now. follow up with Prudence because I am fascinated to know how yep. this turns out, honestly. And anyone else who's listening who, like, is about to buy a DNA testing kit, just go ahead and don't get anything else. <laughs> buy a hat or a puppy. yeah. And don't get a pup. I was just about to say the only thing, other thing you shouldn't get is don't get an animal as a gift. That's always a mistake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, not as a gift for someone. No. God, no. Yeah, no. But that's the thing. She got it as like a gift for a birthday <sighs> present. It was the, the it gift? was his birthday present. Oh, God. <laughs> Happy birthday. Like paternity crisis. Yeah, no, not great. Okay. Speaking so, of birthdays, do you want to read the next one? Yes. Oh, thank you. God, I was like, now we have a nice relaxing birthday where all that happened is someone punched their mother. So the subject is birthday bash. And I just realized the the, the pun. double work that the word bash is doing. Um, dear, Prince, I loved that letter writer. It was fabulous. Way. Yeah. Growing up, my parents pitted my sister and me against each other. They used my academic success to put down her intelligence while lecturing me that I should be more popular and sporty like her. We ended up close in spite of them. I was their favorite right up until I came out as gay before leaving for college. They screamed and cried about how their little girl was ruined. And the only thing that got me through that night was my sister holding my hand. Since then, I've had limited contact with them and they've switched all their attention to her. I'm 20 and she turned 17 last week. I only visit home to see her and I was there for her party. Our parents were, as usual, comparing us and making snide remarks about my lifestyle. At one point, an aunt complimented my haircut and my mom contradicted her launching into a rant about how I look like, quote, an ugly lesbian and how tragic it is that she only has one, quote, real daughter left. My sister punched our mom in the face. She then yelled that they were despicable and should leave me alone. Obviously, the party ended and my dad and I tried to calm my sister down. Our mom had hysterics and a black eye. My sister went to her room and our parents told me to get out. I asked if I should take her with me for a while to give them all some space, but my dad said I'd been enough of a bad influence and to stay away. I left. They have since been calling me multiple times a day to yell at me for ruining my little sister and seem to think it's all my fault. My sister has been saying she can't live with them any longer. I want to ask her to move in with me. My girlfriend is fully on board. But I also don't want to destroy my family, which I think is happening now. I've always tried to keep it so my sister doesn't feel she has to choose sides between me and our parents. But now I don't know what choice I have. They say I can't ever come back to see her. I think she would say yes to moving in with me, although I'm also scared about upending her life. Is there a compromise I'm not seeing here? I feel guilty for what's happened, and I just want to do whatever's best for her. You are a saint. Yeah, before we start, I just want to praise you on, like, your emotional intelligence at age 20, despite all of this horrible stuff that's happened to you, because I would just be losing my mind and not as, like, cogent about all of this as you are. So kudos for that. And kudos to your sister for the punch. No, that's not good. No violence. Violence is bad. But I also kind of, like, was like, yeah. I I mean, I also get that that punch was about 17 years in the making. Um, So, yeah, and I'm not saying, like, good, you should keep punching. But, like, I get that she is 17 years old Mm -hmm. and has been, like, having to live with their focus on her, which does not sound pleasant. Like, I I think, letter writer, you're so worried about seeming neutral and peaceful and calm compared to your parents' absolute constant, like, hysterics and bigotry 
that you have like both sided yourself into um, more neutrality than you need to. Like you say that you don't want to ask her to choose between you and them, but like she wants to. She clearly would mm-hmm. love to choose. Um, and 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 frankly, like uh, you know. I, I think that it probably is really awful for her living in that house. Like, I think she's miserable there just because she's not gay um, or or getting like direct homophobic abuse doesn't mean that it's a good place for her to live or that it's not a horrible home environment. So, like, I think um, you can let go of some of that. Like, it will be good for her to get out of there. She wants to get out of there. Um, they don't treat her well. Their version of love is confining and awful and you know, constricting and she wants to go and and you are helping her escape by offering her a place. Like, you know, you're not the one destroying your family. Your parents are the ones who have spent your entire lives trying to turn the two of you against each other, trying to demean you both, trying to harass you out of being gay. Like, you know, you can let go of the both sides thing now. Like your parents are really awful and I'm so sorry that you had to grow up that way. And I'm so glad that you are able to offer your sister a place to go that is not their house because she just deserves to be anywhere but there. So I had I mean, I had a very similar reaction, like the sense the the big takeaway I want you to have, um, letter writer, as Danny so eloquently put it, is like, you know, you're not destroying your family like your parents destroyed your family. They've made a choice. And it seems like it's something, I mean, from the beginning of your lives, they pitted you, the two of you, against each other. They created an environment where the family could be destroyed, and then they made a choice to destroy it because they couldn't accept you the way that you are. Um, So that's not your fault. And that's the most important thing that I think you need to focus on. And it's hard, I know, when you're 20 years old, not to blame yourself for things like that, especially when it comes to your parents. But this just... None of this is your fault. With regard to her moving in with you and leaving the home, I agree that it sounds like this house is a bad environment for her. But I also think it's important to just think, like, contemplate logistical stuff, which, you know, there are details here that you, like, that I don't quite get because they're not provided. Like, how far away do you live? Can she continue to go to the same school? Um can she like because she's 17 she's finishing up high school presumably like does she want to finish up school in the same place um can you guys afford to you know make sure that she has health insurance and like what's the situation with college tuition if she's planning on going to college and things like that like i i'm not by any means suggesting that she should just stay because she has to, but I do think that if if she needs that support system, I think you need and and she may, after this dies down, realize that she can't completely make it on her own right now, even with your help at seventeen. I think it's important for you to impress upon her that you won't be angry with her if she decides she has to stay. Um, mm-hmm. because the relationship between the two of you is clearly really important to both of you and I think is keeping you both strong through a really difficult situation. So if she ends up having to pretend to be on their side because she needs to stay there, just make sure she knows that you won't hold it against her. Um, that's yeah. That being said, hopefully you guys are in a position where she can leave and it will be totally fine. I'm glad that your girlfriend's supportive. It's just a lot to take on at 20 and 17. And while I'm not saying you can't do it, I just think that there's a possibility that it won't work. And she needs to know that her sister won't hate her if it doesn't work. Yeah. And I love too just that reminder of like, this is such an emotional moment that it, it can be easy to think like, just move in and we'll figure it all out. And right. I think it can be so, so good. Again, that doesn't mean like the day she moves in, you have to be like, now let's start talking about no, when you start to pay rent. Exactly. But like, it is just good to remember that even though this is something that is being started for emotional reasons, it will still be an adjustment and it will still be really good to eventually like sign some sort of like subleasing agreement just so you all know like what your responsibilities are to one another. And so you don't like, you know, a year or two from now feel like, okay, at the time it felt important, but now my girlfriend and I would really like to find a place of our own. And I don't really know how much longer, like, 
I just want you to get in the habit now of having like frank, brisk, cheerful conversations about rental agreements and, you know, totally get if you can't start paying anything until like a year from now or whatever. It doesn't have to be any particular set of rules, just that you are used to having these kinds of conversations now um, so yeah, that I, you don't start to feel like she has to live with me forever. Right. I just think like I think it would be good to get her out of that situation, but I think it's important to really assess whether you can provide that by yourself and whether mm-hmm. she is able to do that. D- like right now she's very upset as she should be. Your parents sound horrible. Um but, you know, will she is she actually feeling able to make that leap? She's very young. So some people yeah. can't do that and I I don't know if she can or not. I don't know her. I hope that this works out for both of you because I think getting her out of there would be great. Um, and yeah. I don't think that this family is going to heal in in any time yeah. soon. I think that this is the kind of thing where years down the line, your parents might realize we made a mistake. We've lost our children. Maybe we need to reflect or they might just not. But right now, yeah. I don't think there's anything you can do that will make this a better situation for you or her besides getting right. her out of there or getting her to somewhere else. That's the other thing. Like. Um, Right. Do you have other family members who are because I mean, based on your age and you said you went away to college and everything like you're a student, presumably like I'm just worried about you supporting all of this. And I'm worried about like that. I don't want you to end up in in a situation where the environment isn't great for the two of you interpersonally either. And then that becomes, you know what I mean? Especially when it's like sort of you don't want it to become a thing where two years down the line, you have a huge fight and she's like, I rejected our parents for you. And now, you know, not that I'm saying she would necessarily do that. But again, I don't know her. And this is such an emotional situation. So if you guys have other family members that could also help older family members who are more sort of established in their careers or whatever, that might be a good thing. You know, that's not to say it's absolutely something you have to get. I'm just thinking of ways that it could be potentially easier for you to make this transition. You know, community members also, like friends of the fa- friends of yours, friends of the family. Th- th- just, I would say you shouldn't try to go this alone. You should ask for help wherever you may be able to get it because I think people will understand the scenario when you deliver it yes. to them, like pretty clearly. Yeah, and just again, like you feel guilty for what's happened, but like what happened? You went to a party with a haircut. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Like really, like, like you're gay. Absolutely, that's all not, you did. Yeah, like <laughs> and you didn't this is not do one that. Of those it just is. Yeah, and it's not like a situation where like your parents were eighty percent in the wrong, but you were twenty percent in the wrong, and it's important to own your own part. No, you showed up with your hair. Someone tried to say something nice to you, and your mom argued with them. The aunt is the one who made me think of like what's up with the rest of your family because the aunt was trying to right. signal to you that she supports you expressing yourself the way that you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. So if the aunt is the one who was like, your hair looks nice, that's to me, if she knows your parents are homophobic, sort of a veiled I'm a safe person message to give to you. Right, right. And right. so maybe she would be willing to help because I just think – What's important here is that if your sister gets out of that environment, that she have a stable environment to arrive in, mm-hmm. yeah, if at all exactly. possible. So, you know, good luck. This is really complicated, and I yeah, just, this is a tough one. I, you sound, but I wish you so much lovely luck. and get a lot of distance from your parents, just a lot. Yeah, they got to work on themselves, and even then, you're not obligated to like ever speak to them again. In my opinion, frankly, exactly. Oh God, this next one. Oh God, the next one. Yeah. This is the this one yeah, is cool. yeah. a little lighter than like this, the last two have been pretty heavy. The last three, honestly, they're all pretty. He- I guess that's why they're writing into an advice column, isn't it? That is sort of the premise, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this next one is this like, next one's more like we're gonna rap about this a little in like a way that uh, I don't know. It's gonna be. I think this is gonna be a little bit lighter. So why don't you read it? I think I'm, this is gonna be great. I think it's so gonna be fun. Subject line is get excited, <laughs> readers. And I'm so excited. Troubled, try curious. Dear Prudence, my husband and I have been a monogamous couple for 10 years, and neither of us have any experience with polyamory. Recently, he's told me that he has started having feelings for a mutual female friend of ours. This didn't bother me as I trust him to be honest and faithful. In the same conversation, he gently suggested the possibility of inviting her into our relationship and asked if I'm attracted to her as well. I'm a bisexual woman, as is she, and I do find her attractive. 
my husband was clear that he wasn't considering this as a fun one-off threesome, but that he would like to invite her to join as a long-term partner. I find this idea both exciting and terrifying. I've definitely considered polyamory in a theoretical way, but I never expected that my husband would be interested. The more I think about it, the more I like the idea of also having a female partner, and I really like this woman. But I see so many ways for it to go wrong. Of course, there's the worry that she wouldn't take the proposition well and we could lose her friendship. I also worry about telling family and friends about it if she becomes our girlfriend. I worry that bringing in someone new would rekindle old jealousy issues, him, of me, from early in our relationship that we've since worked through. I'm also feeling insecure that he might want to bring in a new partner because he doesn't find me as attractive as he used to, or that she might only be interested in him and not me. She's also a bit younger than us, and I worry she might not be at the phase of life that we're at. We're looking to buy our first home and start having children. Lastly, it seems like it could be really difficult to bring someone new into a relationship that has 10 years of history behind it. Prudy, I'm all mixed up. I want to throw caution to the wind, but that's never been my strong suit. Am I overthinking things? Yikes, 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 yikes. Um, no, so I just you're... real quick, you are <laughs> underthinking it. Underthinking, yeah. You're really strenuously underthinking things uh, in my humble opinion um like ooh. every every question that you've brought up is a super reasonable question my eyebrows kept inching toward my hairline like every new sentence of this and until it was sort of I like also just um like i don't want to be so hard on you because i think some of this is good and great like the two of you are getting clarity that polyamory is something that interests you absolutely there are certain things about it that also feel anxiety-inducing, but you do want to talk about it more and possibly pursue it. There's some things that you're both on the same page about in terms of what direction you want polyamory to look like. All of that is good. Um, yeah, I think the, the lines of communication you, between the two of you seem like pretty open, and that's a good thing, for sure. But the level of communication is like, you just had like one conversation about it, and you two are contemplating asking a woman if she wants to like become your partner, which is like, you just missed 50 steps. So I'm not a polyamorous person, so I'm speaking somewhat out of turn here, but I have friends who are, and I I think it's a perfectly, like, fine and valid lifestyle or orientation or whatever you want to call it. Um, I just don't think that the way you start that conversation is, I think Cindy's hot. Do we want to invite Cindy to be our girlfriend? Especially when you think about, like, how has any relationship you've ever been in started? Did it ever start with someone who was a friend saying, do you want to be my partner? Or... Did it always start with at least a date or a hookup or asking for one of those things? Like, And that's not to say that friend, I mean? friends don't become lovers sometimes because that can definitely happen. But there's something that happened that, to me. But we talked. Th- yeah, about it. exactly. I mean, and there's I just think there's a power dynamic here that's tricky also because like it. Picture for a second that you are the friend. You're a bit younger. You don't say how much younger, but enough that you aren't sure that she would be game for your like plans to have children which again like putting the cart before the horse a little bit in my opinion um but you know if my if i was hanging out with this slightly older couple and they suddenly like approached me like hi we'd like you to become our girlfriend that would stress me out and i don't know how i would feel like you know it would i would be like have they been friends with me specifically because they were trying to like lure me in sexually like what do they expect of me you know it's a lot to lay on someone and it's not even hey we think you're hot would you like to have a threesome it's like hi would you like to join our relationship which is just like a huge and like, by the way, we've never done this before. We've never done this before. And we're before. planning on having kids in the next couple of years. But would you like to like move in and be like part of our triad? Like, I just feel like that's, there, I just can't see a scenario in which, I mean, I suppose there is the outside chance that should be like, great, I've been longing for that the entire time we've been friends. But it seems unlikely to me that that will be the reaction. Right. Um. So I would say what you can do with this instinct right now is learn more about polyamory. So, like, you should not be the only potentially polyamorous people you know. You should be going and, like, looking up what are, like, kind of well-respected books within the various polyamorous Mm -hmm. communities about how to go about looking for like-minded people, how to ask friends out in a way that leaves a lot of room for them to say no, um, how to communicate with your partner about your own insecurities, which are, again, totally legitimate. I don't want you to feel like if we do something polyamorous, it means all bets are off, we have no rules, no one's allowed to feel jealous, I'm not allowed to stop something if I'm like, hey, this brings up an insecurity for me and I want my primary partner to be here for me. Like, 
all of those are necessary. I really think you two should find maybe like local polyamory meetups so that you can talk to people who actually have experience doing this and you can run your ideas by them. There are a lot of online communities also um, that might be useful. Like I know that I know there are people who I know people who are like involved in like online Facebook groups or forums or things like that where they discuss stuff like this, because sometimes you are the only one in your immediate community who's living this kind of life. But like you can definitely find people at least in your state or in the vicinity, you know, who you can meet and then become friends with. Um, I just think that you have no. I mean, here's the thing. Just because you're both bisexual women doesn't mean she has any attraction to either you or your husband. And I think like I think that. It's just it feels like you're sort of assuming that she'll say yes, which to me feels not great. And I also think that there's Mm -hmm. so there's also a couple things here that I think are deeper issues that you need to talk about with him before you go before you even open the relationship at all. Um, Like when you say, like, I'm insecure because I think maybe he doesn't find me attractive anymore. You need to ask him, is that what's like, if you're going to have these open lines of communication, they need to go deeper than just the surface level of we think it might be appealing to like have an open relationship or to have polyamorous relationships. You need to be able to say, hey, like the reason I'm a little hesitant about this, apart from the fact that we don't know if Cindy, I've just assigned her name, I'm sorry, if like Cindy would be interested in this is like, I'm worried that you, that I've gotten too old for you and I'm not attractive to you anymore. Or I'm worried that, Mm -hmm. you know, you're just looking to have a girlfriend and don't really care if like she'd be interested in me or the thing, the sort of the the qualms that you're raising in this letter um, are, Mm -hmm. I think, conversations that you and your husband need to have before you move forward at all with anyone. Um, Right. And it's not a sign that you can't do something about your desire to become polyamorous. No, not at all. Like, you two should be able to talk regularly and openly about your fears and insecurities and and to also kind of share in the commitment of like this kind of comes first right now. Like we always need to make sure that we know where the other one is at and that we're aware of one another's fears. Not so we can immediately fix them or reassure ourselves out of them. Um, but so it's all out in the open. It's all out on the table. Um, and we're not just trying to avoid conversations by bringing in new people. Yeah. I mean, I just think like if anything, you know, it's a, you say like your husband is like not just trying to have like a menage a trois, but like honestly, maybe like a place to start would be to mm-hmm. explore that kind of stuff and just like sexually open rather than emotionally open the relationship just to begin with, because it sounds like your hesitations are mostly on the emotional end. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you both if you would like to have sex with women and your husband would like to participate and you can find women who are game for that, that sounds great to me, as long as you're communicating about what your comfort level is and what you want to do and what you don't want to do and what you want him to do and don't want him to do, um, and that you're all agreed. And I, I really think the best way to channel this desire is not to immediately ask out your friend, but to start looking for other polyamorous people to talk to and potentially hook up with, Date, go out yeah. with, get to know. Yeah, like I think that that's going to go a lot better than, hey, none of us have ever done this before. And um, we we have a lot of unanswered questions. Like, And that doesn't mean you can never, ever try to ask her out someday, but that it might actually be a better idea to start with somebody who does know what they're doing. And I think that you want to be really confident in this lifestyle before you like approach this person whose friendship you value and potentially mess it up. Um, like if you're going to approach her about this, I think you both need to be really confident about what you're doing and you don't sound enormously confident about what you're doing. You sound nervous about it, which is understandable, but I think that you need to kind of get your sea legs before you invite her onto the boat. Yeah. And just again, I don't, I don't want to like slap you down, but it's just like, I think, and again, not everybody has the same experience. Some people love stuff that other people get driven, totally driven, driven, totally nuts by. Um, I do think, anecdotally speaking, a lot of bisexual women field, especially when they're single, field a lot of requests from couples that are sort of like, hey, we like this idea Mm -hmm. um, and you're bisexual. So you definitely be game. Right. So she may have like a little bit of unicorn fatigue um, 
And and it's just really good to remember all that the bi women I know say that like Tinder is an is like a nightmare of constantly being like accosted by couples. So she may like be exhausted. Yeah. And again, I don't want to speak for her. I do know that there are also bisexual women who are like, you don't fucking speak for me. I actually really enjoy it as long as people are asking me in a non shitty way. But as a as a trend, it is definitely true that more couples reach out to bi women looking for either a third or a new partner or a threesome, then vice versa. Um, there is not like a national trend of single bisexual women going up to couples and being like, Hello, What's couple. Up? Would you like to open it up? I think you're both gorgeous. Right. No, that seems less yeah. frequent. Yeah. And I think the not age, impossible. No. And I think the age differential here is also something to keep in mind. Like you don't specify that, but it's clearly enough of a gap that it's something that you thought about. So that's also something I think you know, I'm just sort of like, I need more information. Like, would you like to know more? Yes. Like about that, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I and don't know. It, yeah. And also just really like you and your husband will need to figure out together. Hey, if we want to start thinking about having a new partner and we want to start having kids, what are our thoughts there? How are we going to work that out? Um, would we want that person to have like a potential legal relationship to right. those kids? Um, Does would the we kid want that know that this to... person is our partner? Like, you know, things like that. Right. Would we be interested in someday potentially coming out to our family? And if not, you know, that might be a lot to ask of this third person that, like, we get to have the publicly recognized relationship and you have to sometimes pretend to be our roommate. Especially um, if kids are involved and the and the partner is invested in the children. So, you know, that is asking a lot of her. Yeah. And so I'm not saying all this to be like, just give up, don't do it. I'm just saying these are all questions you need at least partial answers to before you proceed. And it's going to take a lot of conversation and a lot of groundwork. And I really think you are underthinking it. Or, or rather, these are all of the right questions. And the next move is not, hey, we'll figure it out as we go. Let's ask her out. It's let's learn more. Let's meet either virtually or in real life a lot of other people who are doing this. Let's ask them questions about how they, they handle these things. And let's figure out what's going to work for us. And then also, if and when we start asking people out, how are we going to make it really, really clear that um, we will super respect other people's boundaries if they say that is not for me i'm not interested right and i think you also do have to prepare yourself for the real possibility that if you do approach her with this she will no longer be interested in being your friend if she's not interested because i think she may feel skeeved Mm -hmm. yeah and and that's just part of it too you can and that goes for almost any friendship i think any friendship where you approach someone sexually right exactly yeah you always run at least some of a risk yeah if even if i say this really well they just it might change things and i'm okay with that or i think it's worth the risk and so um be mindful that like that will be present here too and um good luck i really do think that there are ways that you can explore this well and healthily and and with great love and compassion with your husband i don't think this is it just yet but i hope you figure something out that's really fun for you yeah i think it sounds like you're starting on the right foot but you're really just starting so like do some homework before you really go for it exactly all right this next one is all you okay uh subject adhd or unavailability Dear Prudence, I have an old friend who is very dear to me. They have had a very roller coaster couple of years since they came out, and I've been excited and supportive, including during a scary mental health crisis. But I feel the energy has become one-sided. They don't ever ask about what's up in my life anymore or follow up about things I was working through the last time we talked. I've mentioned this kind of following up is something that makes me feel cared for, and they've basically said their ADHD means they are not capable of doing this. This rings alarm bells for me, as I've been in previous friendships and relationships where this is code for, I am unwilling to do reciprocal emotional labor. This friend's ex has characterized their relationship that way as well. If I bring stuff up about my life, my friend will engage with it, but they never ask, and I'm also starting to notice that they just don't initiate contact with me very much anymore, though they seem to put stock in keeping me as a friend while their social world shifts rapidly. I feel like I don't matter so much to them on my own terms. In any other friendship, this would be the moment to stop reaching out, put the ball in their court, and see if they pick it up. But I hesitate to do this here. Am I expecting too much from someone who's undergoing an extremely intense time? Should I just be supportive for a bit and expect little in return? This friend has been reading a lot into other friends' actions lately, assuming people are pulling away since they came out, which I'm sympathetic to because my friend has legitimately been treated more distantly by some people. But I don't want to pretend my needs don't exist to protect my friend. What do you think? I think this isn't the total point here, but I do think it's important to at least be mindful of like the origins and the meaning of the phrase emotional labor. Um, Mm -hmm. That That stood out to me also. 
term with an origin. It comes from the work of sociologist Arlie Hochschild, um, and it has to do with sort of emotional regulations that a, a person has to meet in order to meet the requirements of their job. Um, and I, I think it's not totally meaningless to sometimes talk about ways in which that can creep into other areas of life. But I do think that um, it's pretty important that it has to do with um, the emotional work a person is doing on the clock in order to make money. Um, and and the sort of just like whether or not your friend calls you enough is not the same thing. It might have to do with it's become a closely used reciprocity. Usage, but it's, yeah, it's yeah, like not but correct. it's not the same thing. And right. That's I think that's that's worth paying attention to. I think sometimes there's like concept creep that mm-hmm. can come into play where all of a sudden people are using emotional labor to say things like I faved one of your tweets and now we're fighting because you don't fave enough of my tweets and it just it, it can get too far removed and that's right. Not I, you know, I think that the fact that it's like a premise of of niceness under capitalism that's like required of the working class is like really important to the the actual concept. And so I I, I appreciate you pointing that out because I made a note of that as well. Um, So here's the thing. Uh, I think that you know the answer to this because you Mm -hmm. kind of said it. Um, You know, I completely understand and appreciate that you are trying to be sensitive to the fact that your friend uh, recently came out, recently had a mental health crisis, is has other people distancing themselves and you don't want to be that person. You don't want to be a bad friend. But the fact is that your friend is being a bad friend. Um, mm-hmm. And it it's really just that simple on some level. So I think what you have to decide is like, is this a friendship that is still worthwhile to you? Is it something that makes you feel good more than it makes you feel bad? And that's not to say you need to like make a pros and cons list. I'm just saying, is this something that you do want to salvage? Because if it is, then I think there are ways you can approach it that are not enormously confrontational, but that might provoke a conversation that would be helpful. So, you know, you've said that you have pointed out to them that, you know, being cared for and having someone check in on you is important to you in a friendship. Um, And the ADHD excuse that they're using, I mean, I have ADD. That's not I think that that's kind of a BS excuse, honestly. Um, I don't forget to, like, ask people about their day. Um, you know, but I think that one way of going about it would be, like, you know, I really value your opinion and there's a lot going on in my life and I really always value your input and, like, talking about my life with you is important to me and, I, I you know, that's something I value is, like, I want your take on what's going on in my day. So I wish that you would start those conversations more because I just want to feel like I can ask you things and I'm not burdening you with my, you know, like sort of make it more about, you can make it more about yourself rather than being like, you're being bad. Because I think if you go to a place of like, you're being a bad friend, even though I think that they kind of are, um, Mm -hmm. that that's going to lead to a more tense conversation that's not going to be helpful. If you want to maintain the friendship. Yeah, I I will say, um, my my friends with ADHD and ADD are very thoughtful and um, while they struggle with a number of things, uh, being kind and thoughtful friends or asking me about my day is not one of them. And I just find that I, I don't know that that's an assertion about their own condition that you need to give a lot of weight to. That doesn't mean you have to get into an argument with them about what their ADHD does and doesn't affect. Um, I, I just think in terms of thinking about what you need next, um, I, I would not worry about that assertion. Um, is is all I'll say there. You say that they've had a very roller coaster couple of years since they came out, which says to me two things. Um, you know, you say that I'm sympathetic because they're going through a really intense time. Well, it sounds like the intense time has lasted a couple of years. And so when you when you worry, like, should I just be supportive for a bit? Um, it sounds like you've done that for several cycles of bits. So this this didn't just happen a month ago. This wasn't just a week ago. It's been a couple of years. Um, and that's not to say that people don't sometimes go through very difficult years. Um, it's just like if you if you say, should I be supportive for a little bit? What do you think is going to change in a month or two? Um, and if the answer is probably nothing, I think that you don't need to wait and collect more information. Um, so the, the other concerns, in addition to like, I do care about this person. Um, uh, that's the only one that I think really matters. The stuff about like some of their other friends have been distant um, since they came out. 
that's really too bad. Um, yeah, that's not that, your that's responsibility. Not you. Yeah, and, and that has nothing to do with your situation. And then the other one is, like, they've been reading a lot into other friends' actions lately, assuming everyone's been pulling away. Um, and that, to me, says... I'm a little worried if I do pull away, my friend's going to talk shit about me. Right. It sounds like, like you're worried already, about the appearance just, of being Yeah, phobic. or they won't think well of me. And right. it's like, that's too bad. But, you know. You can't control that. And, like, if they're you, going you to. You can't have both. Right. So, yeah, I think you got to um, pull away, put the ball back in their court, see if they pick it up. And if they only reach out to complain that you're not doing all the stuff that you used to do, then I think you can honestly say, like, yep, that was starting to feel like a lot for me. And, um, you know, I just I want to prioritize friendships where my friends ask me how I'm doing. Um, And if they're like, that's an unreasonable expectation, you can just go ahead and say, I don't agree that it's unreasonable. And I wish you the best. Yeah. And, And again, if you, you know, if you if they do reach out and you do. Talk about it. I think there are ways that you could approach it without, like, being sort of accusatory. But I also think that that's not, you know, I think that their comfort level is not necessarily the most important thing in this case because I think they're, you know, not being supportive of you and that you feel it. And you know that you're not enjoying this friendship right now because you basically said you know what to do. You don't need to get into an argument about whether or not your expectations are reasonable. You just get to draw boundaries when your expectations aren't being met. Right. Just be like, this is what I needed a friendship and I'm not getting it. Mm -hmm. And if your friend's like, I disagree, I think your expectations for friendship are reasonable, then that's actually probably a sign that this friendship was not going to continue much longer. Right. Then find other friends who won't demand that of you. Yeah. And, And I understand that idea of like, I don't really get much out of this friendship anymore and I'm mostly just keeping this up one because I feel guilty because other people haven't been nice to them and two because I'm worried that they're going to be really mad at me and it's just like you cannot be friends with somebody only because you're afraid of what they'll do if you stop doing all this work to make them happy or like you can but you'll be very miserable yeah I mean that's like a, that's um, like you're like sort of blackmailing yourself you know and to, to convince mm-hmm. yourself to stay like if the if if you do stop being friends with this person and this person does st- tell people they stop being friends with me because they're a bigot or whatever. Like, that sucks. And it always sucks to be, like, accused of something that feels unjust. But, like, you can't control that. And that can't be something that you focus on when you're assessing whether or not a relationship is, like, toxic to your well-being. Right. Frankly, they might do it anyways. I right. just think. And again, it's not like you have to, you know, you're, you're not even saying I'm at the point where I want to, like, block them. You're right. just saying, like, I want to scale back. And I just think that's super, super reasonable. And it's entirely possible yeah. that if you do scale back, they'll realize that they need to do more for you. And maybe yeah. the friendship yeah. recovers. But right now, you're not happy, and I think that's the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Finally, we have the tricky one. Yeah, this one's going to—we're going to have to—I'm still not sure how I feel about this, and I'm reading it right now. So we'll have to—we'll just figure it out in real time. Um, I'm, I'm like, I've read it before. I mean, I'm reading it aloud right now. You know what I mean. You get me. The mm-hmm. readers are very very smart. They, they pick up what I'm putting down, I think. Okay. Uh, subject, overreaching adult adoptee. Um, Dear Prudence, I was adopted at birth with no knowledge about either of my birth parents. Recently, I'm in my mid-40s. I took a DNA test and discovered my biological mother's family. It has been an amazing experience. I have new siblings, and they are incredible. My biological mother was very kind and shared the name of my biological father. They were young and in love, but unmarried. They gave me up for adoption, ended their relationship, and both eventually married other people. One of my siblings learned my biological father's address, and I wrote a letter to him telling him a bit about my life and including my contact information. I also said I understood this might be a surprise and that I would not reach out to him again if he didn't want to hear from me. Several months later, I learned he had died of Alzheimer's shortly after I sent the letter. My guess is that his wife read the letter and chose not to respond. From his obituary, I know we share the same profession, look alike, and that one of his children lives only 10 minutes away from me. Should I reach out? I'm tempted, but I worry it might be breaking my promise. I don't want anything other than to get to know them and to hear more about his life. So I do think here that there, like, this does feel like one of the limited um, situations where a DNA test does not seem quite like planting a bomb. Yeah, this one, um, I mean, like, it it's it's brought so much joy into your life, so that's nice. Um, I like the DNA test bookends this week. Right, right. And you came from it of the perspective of, like, everybody already knows that I was adopted. Like, that's not going to be a surprise. Um, yeah, I, I think for me, 
Um, the fact that it was apparently like uh, not necessarily an open adoption where they had a lot of contact with you, but like it was it doesn't sound like they kept it a secret or that your birth mother experienced a lot of shame and repression around it. So I, I do think you have at least some reason to think rather than like your your biological father's wife reading the letter and throwing it away. She just may have been so busy he was and overwhelmed. Dying. I mean, you know, her dying husband that she just saw it and was like, I don't know who this is. I'm throwing it out. Right. Or or just just like in a pile somewhere. Like yeah, I have a pile of It might of mail be a stack of mail sick. that he received and she was just like he's not reading any mail right now and she checked for bills and put the rest of it in a pile and she'll deal with it someday. You know? Um I think that so I, I think that there's a couple different ways to approach this. First of all, it's really lovely that your biological mother's family has embraced you. I think I'm really happy to hear that. Mm-hmm. And I think that it makes sense that based on that experience, you're hoping that your biological father's family will also do the same. Um, I think that it could go either way. And you have to be prepared for that possibility if you do reach out. I I've been going back and forth on this as I thought about it. I think you can. I think you could reach out to that sibling who lives near you. Um, I think that the fact that in contrast to the first letter with the DNA test, um, there's no infidelity question here. There's no like, you know, this your birth happened before these people married their spouses who they then had more children with. So presumably you predate that relationship. And so it's not as though this man... It's not as though it would be a betrayal to the family unless he didn't tell them they have a sibling and that upsets them, which is entirely possible. But at that point, I think the fact that they're all in their 40s or like – Yeah, I mean you're all adults. They're in their 30s or 20s. Yeah. There's no like little kids. I'm in my 30s and if I, and I think I'm old enough that while it would be strange if I found out something like this, I would want to know and I would be intrigued and I would want to know yes. the person. It also, given that he just died quite tragically, might be nice for them. It might be a part of their father mm-hmm. that they didn't know was out there. Um, and they might find that to be an exciting thing. But they also might be like, my father's dead and he kept a big secret from me and I'm angry about this. So that's just an eventuality I think you have to be prepared for. But I don't think you are breaking your promise because you made a promise to a man who has passed away. Um, who, and he who didn't, didn't respond. Like, right. Did, yeah. Like there was no right. there was no interaction in which you like swore a vow to one another. Like you just made an offer, you never heard back, and it's entirely logical to then reach out to the next of kin, as it were, but not to his widow, because I think that would be strange. So, you know. Right. And she's not one of your relatives. Right. Like, you're not related to her. So that's not who you're trying to reach. Although I'm sure it would be nice to get to know her also if you want to know more about him. But I would say, like, I think that the, the kid who lives near you is a perfectly reasonable person to reach out to. And I would, again, coach it as like, hi, this may be a surprise, and I'm really sorry if it's, like, not a good surprise, but here's the situation, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, and I I think I'm coming down on that, too, of, like, I was a little bit on the fence, but I do think there's grounds. And I think you can just include in, like, I assume you'll send a letter to your sibling now. Um, You know, again, because there's a chance that that, that you did guess what happened, that that his wife saw it and was too overwhelmed or just didn't want to deal with it. Um, So I I think it might be fine to include a line that was like, I had tried contacting him, but um, I, I learned that he never... Like I never. I didn't know that he was ill, and I didn't get a hold of him before he passed. So just like, right? Yeah, so so, that you're not covering up that you did reach out previously. Um, Just be transparent about that, Mm -hmm. and then reiterating, if you're not interested, I will not try to contact you again. This is totally just about a voluntary getting to know one another, and if that's not something that you're available for, I respect that. Right, and and hopefully they will be, and hopefully it will be just as fruitful a relationship as the one you've forged with your biological maternal siblings. Um, but if it's not, I would say, you know, you found something really beautiful there. And I would say yes. just try to enjoy that. Um, and I'm glad, I'm so happy for you that you found something that you wanted um, and that you feel good about it. But I do think that you're well within your rights to make one more sort of overture and see what happens. And then I think if you don't hear from the siblings, you should let it go. Yeah. I think that that's the right balance, too. And I do think that is really lovely that, like, even if this doesn't lead to anything, that you have this whole new side of your family that you're able to reconnect with and who have been kind and welcomed you is just so lovely. Yeah. I mean, that's that's already a happy ending. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, it, you know, I, I just think that it's 
it's okay to feel any kind of way about this because this is a, a complicated situation that, again, as is a running theme this week, um, it has nothing to do with anything you've done. You were just born, and this is the situation you were born into. So, you know, hopefully your siblings will recognize that and maybe be interested in opening a line of communication that will be fruitful for both of you. But if not, you know, you made the effort and you've done your due diligence, and I think that's really all you can do. Yeah. Well, Connor, I think that this was easily one of the most fun episodes really? I've gotten to do in a while. I'm, I'm so, so nervous. That we just, like, if I gave terrible advice, please don't yell at me on Twitter because I'll get I'll cry. I won't I cry, never. but not you. you I meant fabulous. I meant the were... fans. I meant the oh. fans. I'm very sensitive <laughs> secretly. I was like, that'd be such a dick move if I took to Twitter. Yeah, it's just like, like Danny is just like, wow. I just had a, I just had my friend Connor on as a guest, and he was awful. Like, wow, terrible advice. Yeah, I didn't say um, anything on the air, but I'm but gonna tell like, you all I'm now. just going to put him on blast now. On the no, no, yeah. no. I just mean, please, this is my first time as an agony aunt. Uh, so please be be gentle gentle readers mm, fabulous and i'm so glad that we just have the same intuitive response to like if i found out the person i married was actually my first cousin i would you know i just don't see the problem deal with that, but I, on, it's ultimately. not again it's not ideal but it's not i don't know well this was i mean i i kept having this argument with people about game of thrones i was like it would be and i'm sorry so this is a tangent but like if you watched game of thrones or you know anything about it so it was like the question that people were arguing about on twitter there were these people who wanted john and daenerys to be together and then there were these people who wanted john and sansa to be together and their point was like john and sansa are secretly only cousins they're not spoilers for like a 20 year old book sorry um they're not actually siblings and then daenerys and daenerys is john's aunt and that's weirder and i'm like but Daenerys and John don't know that they're related, and John and Sansa grew up as siblings. That's so much weirder than actually being related. Anyway, the point is, yeah, no, if you it, don't, you are, again, instinctively, intuitively, like, right. the taboo is about like the people you grew up with who are in your immediate family, like it, it and that's an right. intrinsic taboo that you should feel and that we mostly do. But like someone you never had any idea you're related to and is younger than you but is your aunt like I'm sorry that's just like a weird unique situation and you should just get over it maybe if you weren't in like medieval Westeros you could like do some DNA like consultation just to make sure everything's going to be fine but then again her her parents were siblings so like the really the cat's out of the incest bag there <laughs> as far as I'm concerned anyway we're tangent but Connor I love you so much uh, <laughs> the point really is yes I agree I'm glad that we had the same insight on that I'm glad that we got to tackle some of this stuff the one I'm like most nervous about is the is the teenage sister one because I just don't mm -hmm. I was just not sure how to quite approach that but I think that we offered a lot of yeah. options and I hope that that works out and I hope that we hear from I just hope it works out that yeah. letter writer with you know an update and I just hope that they have like she has the support system that she needs because that both of them do and like how lovely too because I feel like I so often hear from people where like my parents always tried to turn us against each other and, and it worked we have a really right relationship. yeah no but that the two of you have both been able to say like, no, this is not how I want to live my life. No, I love my you sister, and you're they, and that you can recognize. I really, again, I'm impressed that at because I have two siblings, and like, luckily, my parents are not like that. But you know, mm -hmm. my siblings and I now, as adults, in our like, they're in their late twenties. I'm in my thirties. You know, we have a better understanding now of like how we grew up and like the way we relate to one another, and we have interesting conversations about it. But I'm not sure we would have had those conversations at 20 and 17. So I think it shows a lot of right. like emotional intelligence and maturity yeah. to be dealing with that. And maybe you just had to grow up real fast because your parents suck, right? Um, but yeah, yeah. Well, I'm wishing all the best for for everyone, and I I think that yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just really, I'm glad I had this opportunity. It was really nice. Thank you for inviting me. If people want to follow me on Twitter, I am at, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to plug myself without asking. Um, no, do. so <laughs> my name is Connor Goldsmith. Connor like Sinead, Goldsmith like a jeweler. Um, and uh, my Twitter hand, Instagram handle, are, it's just one word, dream of organon, um, dream of, then O-R-G-O-N-O-N. -O -O it's a lyric from Kate Bush's Cloud Busting because I'm a homosexual. Um, and, uh, follow my clients. You can see FuseLiterary.com to see, like, who I represent. They're all great. My client, Heron Walker, was on this podcast not long ago. Um, she's great. You are a treasure. I try. I mean, I, you know, I just try to be enjoyable. You are fantastic. You're very enjoyable. And get so. out of here. Okay, I'm leaving. Thank you so much, dear Prudence listeners. It's been a, it's been a real treat. 
Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus, and our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. And on today's plus segment. Honestly, if it were me, I would like try to secretly undermine him in ways that he would never be able to trace back to me and run him out of town. But I would also dedicate my entire life to it and like ruin my own life in the process. Right. I'm not like necessarily suggesting that that's a good plan, but it would also be my like desperate housewife style instinct. So I, you know, but (laughs) um, so we won't blame you if you do, but that's not that is not a recommendation. Um, you know, for the most part, I would just say keep your distance. And I think that you can establish boundaries that he will hopefully respect. Um, And if he doesn't, honestly, talk to his wife. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.